I'm Theodore Lowry, a storyteller and facilitator. Welcome to Story Paths, a podcast tending the weave between story and culture. Things that were manifesting as, as political or ethical conflicts on the surface, human level of sets of relations, was actually emanating from this mythic archetypal level. And it felt very much like, wow, okay, we're all addressing the surface level as though it's starting here, but actually what kind of tools would we need to cultivate if we were going to address and participate at this mythic archetypal level where things mm. seem to be, as you say, causal? My guest today is an artist, writer, and facilitator. Her practices are infused with learnings and trainings from a range of disciplines, including somatic movement, storytelling, visual arts, kundalini yoga, family constellations, and a long-standing body of practice developed in collaboration with more than human and human ancestors. She has a deep reverence for all animate beings, including river, stone, ancestors, and myth-key self, and a dedication to our mysterious, imaginal capacity to meet and dialogue with less visible worlds. She is deeply bound to the otherwise force of rivers and the queer communities and ancestors that make her being possible. My guest today is Laura Burns. Welcome to the show, Laura. I'm very happy to have you here. Mm, thank you so much for the invitation. And to begin, maybe you can situate the listeners where you're located now in space and mm. internally. Mm. To arrive. Well, geographically, I'm actually right on the Pacific Ocean, just south of San Francisco. And this is not at all where I usually live. <laughs> usually I would find myself somewhere between, yeah, mainland Europe and the land of my ancestors, which is also known as the United Kingdom, or as I prefer to think of it and call it, a good friend of mine calls it the crag, because mm. it seems to be the most kind of truthful description of that body of land, the crag. I am often in liminal spaces, moving around quite a lot, which is a bit surprising to me even because my practice is very rooted in place so yeah internally I'm navigating what happens when we move ourselves from one body of land to another and increasingly that feels like a very loaded thing to be doing somehow thank you and I'll say I'm in Gabriola Island 
off the west coast of Canada. It's extremely snowy here and quite peaceful. And I wonder, it's a pretty big question, but what is culture to you? Wow. <laughs> Straight in the deep end. Well, two things came to mind when you asked that question, and then they started to braid together. And the first one was an image of a group of humans essentially witnessing one another in actions of transformation. The word ceremony or ritual didn't, didn't come up with that image, but you might refer to it as that it was more the act of witnessing that felt like a very core cultural practice somehow like the need to come together and bear witness and that giving rise to the infrastructures and the shapes of our coming together and the stories we tell and everything else that kind of spins out of that core thing but the the mm. Yeah, the heart of the image was like witnessing death and rebirth moment by moment, you know, whether it's a small or a big act. And the other part of the image was essentially the relations in the more than human world. Hmm. And I think of this as the roots of culture. And that there are spiritual and material behaviors and relations and meaning-making happening in the more than human world that really feels like the bedrock of culture. I mean, it is its own culture, and also it feels like it is ushering in the culture that then we could potentially participate with. Mm. And I suppose many indigenous traditional cultures are engaging in that way, continuing. Yeah, the culture that I'm from stopped engaging in that way for a long time. So yeah, the emergence of the human witnessing out of a capacity to witness the more than human culture that's already there, that, that mm. to me feels like culture in its core hmm let's let's play with that for a while that's that's beautiful i i was listening to my friend ian mckenzie's podcast the mythic masculine today and he was reflecting on an experience he'd had in this village tamara in portugal where the the men would get together and the women would get together I think on different sides of a fire in the evening time and they would take turns singing for each other. It kind of broke his heart that he knew that when he went home, he wouldn't have that such a structure for witnessing each other, as you're saying, the kind of social technology or ceremonial technology is one way of saying it, these kinds of arrangements. And I'm interested to hear more about your thoughts of how this may have roots in our relationship with the rest of the world, 
beyond the human community, how things mm -hmm. are connected. Mm. Well, one of the things that that comes to mind is this uniqueness of relationship that everybody has with the more than human world. Like in in my experience, kind of being in the land with other humans, there can be a shared sense of the energy of a place or a kind of general shared experience. But actually, even, even when I've worked, for example, like with one river, but been there with two collaborators, we all kind of pooled our experience together and there was some overlap, but there was also different bodies resonating with different messages, if you like, from that river. And then that very first act of coming together and sharing the stories in order to kind of weave them into a more whole relationship with this river felt somehow like that, that, that place that I'm speaking of, like in the way that the more than human world emerges mm. culture that the humans then participate with. It's like that very first act of going out and having a unique experience because we're all on a soul level so unique and coming back and kind of sharing stories in that way in order to amplify not only each person's experience, but also to amplify the, the voice of the river. Mm. I kind of jumped there because I, in a way I was, I somehow answered you as though that's somehow one of, one of the practices maybe of like living in that cultural zone that connects to the more than human culture and the human culture. Would you like to speak a little about that practice with the river that you're describing there? Yeah, well, I, I have an ongoing relationship with the river in the north of England, in Lancashire. It's quite a small river. It's a tributary to a larger river, and it comes down from very boggy peat fells of the moorland hmm. and the water is very dark reddish color and the river stones are very dark and i spent a considerable amount of time there over the last seven years a lot of the ways I was trying to listen to that river were through embodied practices, through at one stage more kind of physically state-altering practices to open my listening beyond the visual or beyond the audible and sensitized myself to other information that was coming in and a kind of, of tracking over time which is still continuing now 
tracking over time the ways that the river shows up in my life. And that's not always dependent on being physically present at the river. So I work a lot with the imaginal world, which is to say the inner journeying imaginal world that we can cultivate wherever we are. And that relationship with that river continues often in that way, you know, finding ways of tracking how the dialogue is unfolding and being quite active in that as well, whether I'm there in presence or not, and really maintain that channel. Hmm. I'm hearing this sense that being in relationship with a river is in some ways not so different from being in relationship with a human. It is different, but this is another being, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I could start to feel in myself one of the things that I experienced in bringing some of this work through in a more academic context was the amount of talking that humans do about nature with a different texture to how we're talking about it because this is like it feels like a sharing of personal story which feels different but hmm. I experienced in academia like talking about a person behind their back with <laughs> that kind of feeling you know when I start um, to get really uncomfortable like you wouldn't talk about your friend for a long time behind their back and not include them right as if they couldn't hear I as mean, if they couldn't hear yeah exactly and as if you're speaking about them as though they don't hear doesn't then impact the whole set of relations right and I could feel in myself because I also was talking and writing about the river and it just started to feel intensely uncomfortable. Like, oh God, it's been a few weeks that I actually addressed this entity directly. I wouldn't do that uh, with a friend. <laughs> right. We have words like animal, plant, which can be used a little bit like the word foreigner. <laughs> something other than ourselves. And I remember from your interview in, in the Borderlands about the role of being at the edge of the human village. Mm. You know, it's an old, old role at the edge of the human village with all its busyness. And from that position to be in some ways less biased just towards humans. And that position to be related to the animals and the plants and the rivers and the mountains and the stones in some ways equally as to the humans mm. that they're all part of life and that can be somewhat of a lonely role i think you know not being in the middle of the hustle bustle and, and such. It's also a less lonely role in some ways mm -hmm. to be connected to rivers and trees and not feel alone when other humans are too complicated to really be with deeply. 
And I wonder if you could speak about mm -hmm. your relationship with your river. I think that's a good, good point rather than sort of from the abstract about culture and such. I'm really curious about story. And mm. of course, this is, you know, as long as we're on the big words, then we'll move from culture to story. <laughs> you know, some people use the word story to mean something made up for entertainment and so on. I have a sense of story as being a thread that can weave us with life that's really, really part of culture, that our capacity for narrative meaning, our capacity for, I won't say personification, because that would imply that we're the ones giving beinghood to these other beings, but how other beings exist within our human comprehension. I heard David Abrams say, you know, of course, when we're relating with other beings, we're anthropomorphizing. It's, mm. it's a forbidden thing in academia, never anthropomorphize. He mm. said, but you know, the trout is troutomorphizing and the tree is treeomorphizing. Like everyone's seeing from their perspective, mm. no doubt. And it feels like story and human story is perhaps part of our sensory apparatus or it's part of our way of relating with other beings that they can be within our understanding and even within our shared understanding when we're telling stories and such that we can bring them into our world in a way that's true to them but that we can also understand and i'm really curious to hear your thoughts on story and relationship with culture in a kind of broad sense but also in your relationship with your river mm, yeah i was really thinking about the balance of belonging in human sociality, let's say, and the belonging with the more than human world. It feels as though the ways in which we kind of blindly sacrifice parts of our ethics or ourselves or our deeper ecological soul desires, let's say, to belong in human culture or to belong to a certain identity of human culture or to, you know, secure our place in the tribe where kind of feel ourselves within. At the moment, especially in the world, feels like a very scary, very charged and out of control <laughs> tendency, which I guess it amplifies in times of crisis and fear, doesn't it? That that kind of, and the, the capacity to to root oneself in a different kind of belonging so that we might dare to trespass the requirements of one tribe if you like so mm -hmm. in in family constellations it's sort of about you know rooting yourself in the belonging with with spirit in order to be able to have the capacity to stand outside of, let's say, the family system if you need to, or the political system if you need to. When I say stand outside, I don't mean absent oneself. I mean transgress the kind of contracts that we make in order to belong to those groups. Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking about that a lot at the moment because for me, the belonging to the more than human world is a spiritual world as well. And it's also 
kind of building capacity to root oneself to something other than those contracts or loyalties with the dominant mm. group, or let's say mm -hmm. that then when you ask about story, for me, I always have this sense that story and the land are almost like one entity. Hmm. The myth is also an animate being. Hmm. Like the story, I almost feel it like dwelling in the land and waiting to kind of ripple up and be woven with our human movements that we would be listening out for the story that wants to come to us mm. and and then maybe it connects again to these two weaving braids of the of the culture the braid of the more than human culture and the braid mm -hmm. of the human culture mm. weaving together the living world the more than human world it is storying itself and it's our obligation to listen to that and I found that really especially strong at the river because one of the stories that came through at the river was a kind of historical story or an ancestral story about events that had taken place there, kind of memory story that I felt in the land. And then there was the feeling of another strand somehow story coming out of the river which was something that I couldn't fully imagine in my humanness it was as yet unimagined by me but I knew that it was something other than that memory of the historical events that had happened in that place mm. it was the possibility of a different story but that feels like something really that I will definitely spend a lifetime trying to learn how to listen to that other story. All these stories like swirling in the land <laughs> that are wanting to be received and then we both become the witnesses of those stories and our sharing them is just a participation with, with them. This is very beautiful. To hear it's making me very happy to hear this <laughs> like what you're saying about stories being beings it's very honoring it seems like a courtesy to consider them as such as opposed to something that we just made up you know mm. certainly they come in our experience as humans in a particular way we see differently from other creatures we hear differently from other creatures so we perceive stories differently from other creatures but it's not to say that we invented them and to credit other beings whether animals or plants or stories with personhood the view that to credit them with personhood is our fantasy has some deep disrespect in it and probably some trauma in it as well. Mm. And to consider them beings and to listen 
and be in relationship, it seems much more full and and real. And I would suppose in those in those relationships, like all relationships, to have boundaries and such, and not every story will necessarily, you know, come fully on board and and so on. And what you're speaking about these, as I conceive it, deeper layers, these layers beneath, you know, that there's there's stories in the land in one sense going on all the time. What are the birds doing? They're flitting from tree to tree, mm. then you know, a bird of prey goes overhead and all the little birds fall silent. And then as soon as that bird of prey is passed, they all chitter. It's kind of like stories going on all the time. Now the snow, there's been heavy snowfalls here and it's warmed up and it's all melting. So you go out in the forest, it's like loud. There's snow falling down off the trees and looks like it's raining half the time, even though the sky is clear. And this is all story going on. Mm-hmm. And then it seems it seems to me that then there's there's deeper and deeper stories and that each layer deeper is more causal is the word that comes to mm-hmm. me. Like I'm thinking in my own life, for example, events that happened many years ago that I could describe in a sentence, you know, my father died and this happened or my friend when I was very young got very concerned with popularity and things and it threw off my creative play game for a long time. So I could say it very simply, but it affects so many details and so many situations in my life. So that's in my personal life. And we could say it culturally as well. You know, there was a war 50 years ago and this and this happened, but it's underneath of so many things. And then what's underneath of that and underneath of that it becomes more causal, the first war with soldiers. Well, that set a precedent. The splitting of the atom, that set a precedent. So these very causal events in history. But then you're also speaking about something that isn't historical in the sense that it's not in time. Mm. I'm thinking of Tolkien and his world and his description of myth. And he's got this great long histories and then there's also things that happen outside of history with mm. the spirit beings and such and their relations which is still playing out in all the details of the history and the story so it feels something like that like humankind's mm. relationship with as we say the natural world or we might say how humankind came to think of the rest of the world as the natural world so I wonder if you could speak a bit about that, about, you know, this separation, this, you know, modernization, civilization. Might there be some great story that this is this is part of? Some story which perhaps is not historical only, but some some bigger story. If those are some mm. conversations you might have had with the river. With mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I did experience at the river exactly that layer of deep time that I feel that you're speaking to. 
And it was a very, very strong vision of a group of beings who were stones. And I was kind of part of this group and also witnessed from the outside this kind of mythic entity. And they were, they were interesting. One of the ways that kind of they began to reveal themselves was in kind of stream of consciousness writing after this event had happened. And one of the things that came out in that writing was like that their identity as stone beings, stone women, stone beings, was only their identity moment by moment because of the fact that moment by moment they remembered that the land was imagining them as stone beings you know mm. so it was like that active moment by moment acknowledgement of reci reciprocity but but more than that that their their whole beingness was was extending out of the land's imagination of them as this entity the fact that they knew that and remembered it made them that entity <laughs> mm. Robin Walkimer spoke about how in her language there's so many verbs and what's often nouns in in English for example would be a verb so it's not it's not a bay but it's more like being a bay or a right. river, but more like being a river. Stone is being a stone. Might might right. be something like spirit being a stone. Right, like rivering. Yeah, it's more like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, this cool. entity very much felt like that, and my remembering them through the land, kind of gifting this this memory, felt also a participation or a continuation of them through me. And in this vision, I did witness them being kind of split open, essentially just violently ripped apart by another force that absolutely didn't see them in that way. Mm. And it was the not seeing them in that way that kind of made the, made the cut or the severance. Mm-hmm. And, and then it's exactly what you just described. It's like then I received information from historical events that I could then find out about, like a very prominent witch hunt that took place in that area. And then after that being the core of the Industrial Revolution, hmm. huge coal fields that completely changed the carbon level in the atmosphere, in the... 1800s moment of huge industrialization especially powered by a lot of places in the north of England and their entanglement with colonialism elsewhere all around the globe and so it was this mythic layer which now actually when you were just speaking I was seeing it as the archetypal layer mm. and I say that because I was thinking about what we were talking about with story and feeling, oh yeah, when I when I visualize that, feeling the story in the land and visualizing that, it's actually almost like seeing an image in the land, an image that could be an archetype. For example, the river 
very much appeared as a, as a serpent. Mm -hmm. Seeing other serpent as a living image in the land and feeling that layer of, I would call it like the mythic, the archetypal being, being the beginning of the story. It's hard to feel because coming into the world, immediately experiencing the written word as our experience of language. Mm -hmm. And so I find even in myself, when I think about story, even if I imagine people around a fire storytelling, I actually see words, you know, it's like I can visualize that, oh yeah, but they're words and those words are things that also are written. Whereas when I tune into the mythic, archetypal, causal, deep time layer, mm -hmm. it's an image. Mm. You know, it has a different transmission. And I wonder if this is, when I hear you say about this kind of causal simplicity, actually the way that that often transmits or the way that it transmitted at the river was sensorial. It was like having a dream. It was like, woof, like a kind of subtle and also very direct apprehension of something happening. And in the same way that you feel when you have a dream, you don't, you know, you haven't like listened to the story of the dream through your sleep or read the story of the dream. You, you kind of apprehend it as this momentary event. And for some reason that's hard to explain, you know a lot of things about the dream, even if you don't know how you know it, you know why that person in the corner at the party is there and who they're related to and mm -hmm. why the dog is in the on the roof or whatever. It's like you know the why of the dream unexpectedly. And I, I guess that's what I'm, my experience of mm. that causal mythic layer. It's like pulsating with something. Mm, like it arrives with its significance, its meaning, it, it, it's potent. Yeah. Yeah, and it has a kind of pulsing energy that, that will show up in different ways. So you might ask to start being in dialogue with whatever that being or experience might be, and then you might start noticing synchronicities or things mm. showing up in your material landscape that speak to that thing. It starts to kind of unfold a bit more and take a bit more form. Mm. And then our meaning-making around that feels like the emergence of storying that.
having beheld the river, having beheld the stones, having beheld something of that deeper reality, what might be our duty? What might be asked of us to be of service? Would we possibly be asked to help change a story, to tell a story, to bring it to the surface in a way that's more accessible mm. for us humans with all our talking? What might be a person's part to play? Or perhaps I could ask you personally, yeah. what is your sense of your part to play? Mm. In this. Yeah. I really appreciate the question and that everyone will behold differently. And it's something that I feel very much an apprentice of, like I'm sort of fumbling my way at the beginning of a long journey with. Mm. But I can say we're all resonating very differently with different things, right? Whether mm -hmm. they're more than human beings or preferences in the world or what, whatever it is, we're all resonating very differently. And I resonated very, very, very strongly with the river to the extent that I didn't differentiate us. I, 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 I would say I don't have a sense of differentiation between myself and that river, not in a sort of merging projection way I can see that the river has a life that's independent of my life but I understand at some mysterious level to be something about myself and the river is one mm -hmm. that simply was a, was a strong feeling I, I just happened to kind of pay attention to it maybe because I was listening for it and I was asking for it in a way maybe we're all having that experience all the time in different ways but we're not being supported to pay attention to the bigness of that feeling if it happens mm. or our culture isn't guiding us to look out for those moments when they happen and part of the feeling of being the body of the river and the body of the river being me is you say, wow, okay, whatever happens to me happens to the river. Whatever happens to the river happens to me. Mm -hmm. So one of the experiences I had in one particular moment of the work was getting completely blocked in myself at a very physical, mental, spiritual level, like a very deep kind of paralysis, depression, passage. And it was when I was working with the part of the river that had been dammed. Hmm. So then my attempt or my obligation to kind of bring myself out of that or try to find a way out of that was not only for me, it was also for the river. <laughs> hmm. and, and I would also understand that if the dams were taken out of the rivers in the world then my body would also enjoy that mm -hmm. a lot more and, and that would make a lot more possible also mm. for my body and my thinking and my spirit 
And I believe it to be so with all of us. And so mm. the obligation that I feel is like, okay, if I am in some way the river, then the river is the flow of life. I mean, the river needs to, the river, the river can't, can't dry up as such, or of course it can, but then it radically changes, changes its life form. And some of the ways that I think about that come back to my constellations work, where the work of a constellation is to name and include and honor and acknowledge all of the absences in the system. And in doing that, the flow of life is returned. Hmm. And it can be a family system or a ecological system or a organization or what have you. And so I would understand that work to be river work. Hmm. I'm basically kind of asking, asking the river in a very direct way, either that river or other rivers or the river within me, what that obligation is. How, how am I being asked to be in service to the rivers if that's Mm -hmm. what's being asked and it's showing up in really curious ways mm -hmm. so I kind of for different reasons like related a lot of my obligation to the river to somehow be about grief mm -hmm. and the capacity literally for the tears to flow as you say like the stories we tell about our own lives through whatever means it's like that that was somehow what I was connecting to as mm. somehow my role, like in this material, spiritual ecosystem with the river and with the support of a wonderful mentor, a guy named Brian Stafford, I deepened my relationship with the river and a whole other aspect came through of what would help the river to flow and it was my total unbridled joy mm. you know mm. it was the movement and the capacity and the the connectedness of absolutely unrestricted joy in the world mm. and it was so shocking to me and it was so surprising because i'd related the flow of the rivers with this this relationship with the water of the body is tears. Mm. And that revealed itself, yeah, through deep imaginal journey, through visiting a river every day and speaking with it and doing lots of ceremony. So I feel like the obligation and the how to be in service is like the continuing mystery somehow. Mm -hmm. I feel it to be changing all the time and I a lot of the time don't know what the container for that looks like. Do you have a sense of some helpful practices, for example, in permaculture? It's different in all different lands, you know, how you approach the land, but then there's some principles that are helpful pretty much everywhere, like observation or listening, paying attention, thinking of how the water moves, 
you know, there's some things that are helpful practices. I'll just say, I, I noticed in how I came to this question, there, there was some bias from my own conditioning of looking for like the best practice, you know, how does one do this? How does yeah. one do that? <laughs> how does a person do this? Okay, some universal principles like this, but it's a bit like asking, how should you be in relationship with other humans? You know, like, <laughs> what's the best way to do that? It's, it's, it's kind of too general, right? Reasonable steps. <laughs> yeah. It's, what are the five, five or less steps to be in good relation with other humans? And yet it seems that there may be some things that are helpful, that are a good bet, even if they'll be applied in different ways. And You've mentioned sitting and being with your river, or it could be with a tree or different beings, you know, spending time thinking of them when you're apart physically. I know. I wonder if you could speak of other ways that of, of deepening that relationship, because it, mm. it feels much more like a process than a conclusion, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. I think one of the one of the biggest ways that I've found, and I don't know, I don't know if this is shared or not with with others. I haven't spoken to many people about it, but I I move and make a lot of sound, hmm. like a lot, a lot, and it's partly to get out of my head, hmm. and it's partly because for me, voice. If I open my mouth and make sound, that really brings me into presence. And it's also because if I'm moving and making sound, then I'm more likely to make a movement or make a sound that's telling me something a bit subtler about the information that's coming in than if I'm maybe like sitting and trying to mm, meditate, thought something. Yeah, yeah, that's actually mm. the hardest, the hardest way for me. Mm. I, I know for some people that's easier to drop into but for me it was like yeah a lot of a lot of singing and sounding and blabbling and moving and I also wonder if that kind of announced my arrival as well mm. I don't know yeah for me that was one really big one speaking out loud and directly speaking to an entity is a huge one mm. for me and it's like I feel quite playful when I'm in this practice because I don't care if it's fake it till you make it. I really believe mm. in this. You know, I don't care if I'm not... Imagining quite right or... Yeah, yeah. It's like whatever. It's like this deep trust in the capacity to listen and receive messages and at the same time the deep trust in what it does to play and activate that in some way. Hmm. So I would just say that I spend a lot of time with the land and more than human beings when I'm not receiving things and not feeling that connected. And that's almost like the part of the practice, which is, I don't know, if you're a poet and you do some stream of consciousness writing to kind of get you going, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, well, I'm still here. And my presence is still here. It's like you're warming up. Like you're yeah. 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 And and just being there anyway. I will directly address 
the river or the stones or the land in mm -hmm. verbal speech. And often, I would say before and at the end of any kind of encounter, I would either leave a gift mm. or in some way materialize the encounter, even if it's like setting a circle of stones where I've been speaking to the river for a moment. But it's some kind of way of leaving a material message to the mm. place and saying, thank you, I heard or experienced whatever I experienced and this is me tracking that that for me is really helpful because it brings the less visible practice into something material I can ground it in something mm. and I think it also does activate the continued dialogue in some way because it might be that you make a certain shape in the sand or you leave a certain colored leaf there in that place and that will register in some way and then for some reason five days later in the supermarket you might see that very same exact shade of green and it's like oh the conversation is continuing across time and place mm. and showing up in these ways that actually demystifies it quite a lot it's not something that's happening out there you know it's also threading through our every day in some way. Mm, yeah. It's a few threads I'm thinking of. One is I'm reminded of something I heard Francis Weller say, that all the arts originate in ceremony. And it seems that a big part of ceremony is this physicalization that you're speaking about the altar, the dance, the song. These are ways of enacting that which is invisible, of acknowledging them in mm. the physical plane of existence mm. and in a way linking those planes, linking mm. the invisible and the physical. Here's an anchor, you know, here's... Mm. Here's an arrangement of stones, like you say, or dance steps or words that in some way is physicalizing it. I also really love what you're saying about the playfulness of it, because, you know, for those of us and many of us, of course, are in this situation who didn't grow up in a culture that had a lot of this vocabulary, so to speak, or, you know, had a lot of ceremonies and enactments and altars and so on for those of us that didn't grow up with this and who are exploring it who are wanting to make those relationships with land and wanting to physicalize make tangible the intangible it can be daunting you know it can be mm. daunting that oh my own culture lost these things so long ago I don't want to take from other cultures, maybe inspired by other cultures, but you know, I don't want to be artificial about it. And so when mm. you speak about playfulness, I feel this is so important. Mm. 
Mm. You know, that as we move into this, we're not going to be wise elder experts from the beginning that we were mm -hmm. just born and raised in a culture that's super fluent in this. No, it's not where you start, right? Like you start where you are. Mm. Also that our relationship with the invisible and intangible, of course, it can be grave and serious and profound and full of grief and wonder and joy. And it can also be playful. And sometimes that play can be just a great place to start. And in play, there's not such a sense of all oh, mistakes, you know? It's like, oh, I was playing a game, but I made yeah, a mistake. I it's, it's sort of, well, are you playing a game, you know? Like, how bad can the mistake be? So I feel that's so important to have that playfulness, which also acknowledges that there is playfulness in other species, spirits, like, I, you know, there there is playfulness. And it just makes you think, because it came up again earlier, I really had this strong image of children, like the way that children are telling stories, that it's like, well, of course, they're so porous to the invisible world. It's like they literally just came from the other realm. Mm -hmm. Of course, they're completely open to it still. And we might call it or oh, their imaginary friend or whatever well it could be it could be an invisible being who is genuinely sitting right next to them <laughs> and they're just mm -hmm. not afraid to speak their reality it's also the hilarity of spirit and there are definitely moments where it feels like just a cosmic joke is being uh, played uh, through I don't know something manifesting in the encounter or I mean I'll, whatever. I'll give an example just for my own yeah, life it's, it's not quite as metaphysical as what we've been speaking about but so I spent a lot of time in India and uh, I'm from Canada in Canada people have very big personal bubbles as a whole it's a northern country first world country people are used to having a lot of space for the most part compared to other countries and so in India is the full opposite while I was in India people thought it was unusual how much space I seemed to require, you know, space and silence and being off by myself and all of this. I was this kind of loner in India. But then I come back to Canada and I got socialized in India to a certain extent. So I come back to Canada and people have these big personal bubbles and all of this. And I feel socially needy. And when it occurred to me like that, there was something hilarious about it. All these times when I was wanting my personal space and all of this in India and making a big deal of it. And then here I am on the opposite side where I'm the one like, you want to hang out? You know, hey, you know, like, seems like you've been by yourself a long time. Maybe you want to hang out. <laughs> it's like, and there's just, it just struck me that, oh, I've, I've, I've been flipped. Like the game's been flipped. And I, I'm on the other side. I've, I've just, I'm inhabiting the opposite role now. And there's just something really hilarious about it. And I felt the hand of life in it. It didn't feel arbitrary. It felt like life has flipped the board and finds it hilarious. And you know right. what? I kind of find it hilarious too, to my credit, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like the best kind of humbling, humbling. Yeah, it's like, yeah. 
It's like, oh, you got me, you know? Yeah, oh, yeah. There's a love in it, but there's a trickery in it as well. It's like, oh, you got me. Absolutely, so there's a, yeah. There's a knowledge of who I am in it. I feel like life kind of knows right. who I am and is playing right. with me. Wow, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, it, it for me, it has a real trickster energy, like breaking the world to make it again. Yeah. And of course, that yeah, trickster has to know the world and, and have made it so intricately to be able to be also the one that yeah. it and like, flips it around. Yeah. 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 I, I want to say also about seeing the same color in the grocery store. Mm. And maybe we can move into the last chapter of our conversation with this is is bringing this into the world. Because in, in my mind, in terms of symbolism, the river that you're speaking about and the grocery store feel like they're, they're different dimensions. You know, they feel so far apart. In there with the river, there's that sense of the beingness of the river, there's relationship, there's gratitude, there's conversation, there's back and forth. And in the grocery store, it's full of food, but it's as if it teleported onto the shelves. You know, we don't know the background of it hardly at all. There's not a reciprocation with the harvest of it. You know, that, that which could, should be very sacred encounter with one's own food source of one's sustenance relationship with the earth in that way that it's anonymous it's mm. packaged and there's animals in there you don't know how they lived or how they died mm. so to come into this question of how we might bring some sense of that that sacred which you know isn't to say we're going to be doing ceremonies in the grocery store necessarily, but how might we bring some sense of that into places that, at least to me, it seems that it couldn't belong? Yeah, well, I guess it's kind of similar to that that cultural specificity you just spoke to. You know, this I, I had such an image then when you just said of the bubble, the bubbles, the bubble of space that you'd kind of culturally been brought up to feel that that was normal and the contrast with being in India and from my cultural and, you know, completely lacking in spiritual context, but for want of a, you know, more, more kind of Christian than any other I mean I was not brought up religious but you know that more that lineage than anywhere else is that the sacred and the profane mm -hmm. were really separated mm -hmm. and I think that that really feeds into definitely feeds into my perception of what those spaces look like mm. and again I'm sort of thinking of the way that I don't know why children are really coming in strong for me this evening. I'm just thinking of the sacredness of that kind of deep, deep commitment to imagination, pure, pure innocence of imagination and play and the setting up of scenarios and the living out of reality. And it's like that, you know, that's sacred. And yet we wouldn't think of a kind of bustling, chaotic elementary school classroom as the site of, 
the sacred in the same way that like the supermarket doesn't feel like that necessarily. It's definitely specific to my experience of being brought up in a white secular culture. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when you say about how it can how it can thread through, and I and I think on the one hand, at a kind of practical community level, finding ways to come together that are intentionally non-social. Mm. I don't mean non-social. Sorry, that sounded like a, a, a negative to sort of not being like you could be angry at each other. No, but really like deeply together, but finding ways of witnessing one another that aren't at this kind of social level of Mm -hmm. encounter, which might be, you know, as simple as starting a weekly night amongst your friendship group, you know, that can start to cultivate that kind of a space so that it feels something less unfamiliar or less Mm. out there or making these little portals in the fabric of our everyday for us to hear ourselves come out with something different different Mm -hmm. text or different knowingness This is the very mysterious, beautiful way that mystery reveals itself, which seems to me to be across different bodies and different time and different spaces, which is to say I do feel strongly that encountering the material river, having a conversation in my mind with the river, walking down the street, imagining that I am the river, any of these things also opens the world up Mm. for that essence or entity to show itself across different spaces. And that, Mm. I think, can be a beautiful and playful, again, thing Mm. to start track. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that the 
relationship with the meat in the supermarket becomes any less complex or any more ethical, let's say. But it does it does start to erode the the binaries that we make mm-hmm. between these worlds. And also spirit is accessible to, to everyone ev- everywhere, right? Making material very invisible or less perceivable things often is the remarkable capacity of art. And I think for me at the moment, the question is more like how do we build a community of witnesses to art and expression at large so that it doesn't just live as something something exclusive to some members of society who've decided to become artists or mm-hmm. professionalized it in that way. But how can we witness one another in our creative expression, which is our life force, our uniqueness? Mm. Bring that back into the core of culture rather than something that, you know, you get an hour for at school when you're eight to 15 and then, you know, you don't do it again unless. And I'm reminded again of that quote from Francis Weller that all the arts, the dancing and the song and, and visual arts and so on originate in ceremony. And that art in our society is a place where a lot of these things can happen. Artists do all kinds of odd things. So then if you have artists, you know, doing odd things, well, that's in the category of artists and we have that category and might agree with them or disagree with them, but it goes on. So there's a place for that where there's a degree of freedom to do things which are quite ceremonial potentially in a society that may not be as welcoming to ceremony as to art. And yet there's some limits to that category of art as well. And like you're speaking about, it's not always so participatory. And what might be one of the differences between art and ceremony, a lot of the same things can be there, but usually with art, there's the artists and then there's the others. And it's kind of the field of art and the profession of art. And, you know, you're meant to be very good at it because you're professional. And the role of the non-artists is witnessing, appreciating, not appreciating, which is a detached kind of role. You know, I go and see a film, I go into a gallery, I go into an installation, I go to the theater. And I may be drawn in emotionally to some extent. And people certainly blur these boundaries a lot with art. But there is that premise that I've come as an audience member, as a witness, not as part of the same culture. But to really bring art back home to ceremony would mean that I think we're doing it together, isn't it? And that we remove that professional requirement from it, the vocational requirement. And it opens it up, you know, however good you may be at the craft of drawing or singing or what have you. It's not really about that. It's about relationship and expression. It's about connecting with deeper layers of yourself, of others, of other than human world. And these are some practices and these are, you know, emblems or, you know, symbols for lack of a better word 
that help us mm-hmm. to do this or that embody this. And then we get into really shared ceremony, mm. which might look in a lot of ways like an artistic performance that everybody's involved in. I'm thinking of Bill Plotkin, you know, he talks about delivery systems mm. of one's calling, of one's soul calling. And usually when people find their soul calling, they'll pick a delivery system that their own culture recognizes rather than creating their own. So like Carl Jung became a psychologist and mm. people do different things that there's some some place for, you know, and thankfully there's there are roles that you can do quite a lot inside of. And yet there's some limits as well. Mm-hmm. It seems as an artist that you you found some of those limits that art has is very helpful for bringing expression to your relationship with the river to these mm. deeper experiences and yet there's some some limit to the role of artist or the field of art in society mm. yeah one of the practices that came out of the river was kind of improvised performance movement session where I would work with the river stones and move them around and kind of do a, do a constellation, but without any known entities. So I would, I, I would move the stones, use a lot of speaking and sounding and moving my body and be almost like a tuning fork to Mm. the field and sort of see what wanted to come through. And I would often do it in very specific places, like a semi-closed community or, you know, like I did it in the university once and I did it at a residency place where the building had been a monastery back in the day. I guess they were kind of institutional places or actually just a house, you know, and, and but feeling through the through the session, these layers that we spoke of, of like the mythic layer and then the historical layer and different information would come through. And I tried to share this in different ways because it felt quite remarkable what was what was happening, especially when I did it places like the university, you know, lots, lots of very kind of things that were manifesting as, as political or ethical conflicts on the surface, human level set of relations was actually emanating from this mythic archetypal level and Mm. it felt very much like wow okay we're all addressing the surface level as though it's starting here but actually what kind of tools would we need to cultivate if we were going to address and participate at this mythic archetypal level where things Mm. seem to be as you say causal and so I really wanted to share this practice, but but depending on who was in the room and what the setup was, it would either just be flat, like I could, like I would be going through the motions and nothing would be coming through, and it was like mm. the worst experience of <laughs> ever, you know, to have that feeling like. You know, you keep going and you keep going because you're filling the time, but you know that there's just no, like, vibration. Oh, man. (laughs) So ever. 
And then at times it would be, you know, completely activated because I would have invited specific witnesses to that process. So oh, that's it could, interesting. Yeah, so it could still be, you know, kind of held as a session and whatever, could call it a performance, could call it a session and still have invited audience or witnesses, but I was inviting those people in because of who they are and their practices and also with the very explicit understanding that as witnesses they were collaborators. Uh-huh. So their their role was to really believe in the believe in the practice with me. I'm thinking of this scene I saw in a film that somebody's dancing, you know, and they're dancing in this most epic way and the music is fantastic and there's kind of close-ups and you know you're seeing their hands move and their expression and you know the cinematography is excellent and all of that and then suddenly the music cuts and the shot cuts to a zoom out and the person's still dancing but they're just like you know they're just kind of going for it like can feel a bit like that right yeah it's it's like you're feeling the vibe and then suddenly in front of a group like that you're just a weirdo up there doing your thing (laughs) but then But then when you have other people there, it's like when that music cuts, they're the musicians, you know, like they've, there's still some drumming going on. There's still, there's still something happening there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Even if others don't quite hear the whole thing, then there's something still present there. Totally, totally. And oh God. Yeah. I mean, some of my worst experiences (laughs) of... (laughs) doing anything in front of anyone but 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 it totally brought home this this question that i have about art and these practices in particular which was wow the knowledge and the information that's emerging simply doesn't want to emerge if if there Mm. is a certain level of what i started to call them the skeptical witness Mm -hmm. and of course it's also ancestral it's like the impact of those figures on me and my body and what that does to my sense of Mm. the practice and of of course there's like different layers but on some very core layer it felt like right because it's a collective endeavor to usher this in Mm -hmm. and that that really feels like community Mm. to me it brought this question up of like am I making performance for a human audience Mm-hmm. Or am I making this thing for this invisible world? Which you're in, inviting. But which I'm inviting. It's, like, is it's, it? It's a request, you know, it may exactly. or may not want They to may come. or may not show up, exactly. Yeah. But it, am I doing it to show this action to humans that would read this action? Or am I doing it because I really think it's important, some of the information that might come in? Mm-hmm. And it it was possible then Mm. to share that in some ways whilst I was in a kind of research context. But, you know, there's no way that I could show that practice on a night of a bill of performances, you know, at the dance theatre down the road kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it's not that it's one or the other. It's just that depending on what your priority is, they are very different things yeah there's that sensitivity of 
of bringing that through or whether to bring that through in a certain situation. Fair enough from the perspective of, of spirit, isn't it? I mean, I wouldn't yeah, want to yeah, go yeah. in front of a bunch of people who are like, I don't know about this guy, you know, <laughs> is this guy even real, you know? So I, I wouldn't feel so inspired. No. Like, exactly. well, you know, I'm, I'm okay. Like, I don't need the approval of these guys. I'm not coming, you know? Exactly, exactly. That's really what it felt like. Also, whenever those moments happened, I felt like, oh, I've really missed, misplaced this somehow. Hmm. Yeah, the sense of bringing things through. This is, this is a big wondering. Mm. A big wondering. I love what you've said that things aren't dualistic. It's not really just the sacred and the profane, the sacred's everywhere. And that's very relational. Mm. And, uh, yeah, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you know, for those listening to this conversation in their own lives, those various lives in different parts of the world, how this is landing and in their own lives, if there's times they might've tried to bring secret, deep, relational things across, times when it didn't land and it was very difficult, like getting burnt, and times when it maybe partly came through and that was quite encouraging, and times mm -hmm. when perhaps there was an unexpected receptivity. Sometimes that happens as well, like somebody that you wouldn't expect would be, you know, into all the etheric stuff is... It's suddenly just right there. Well, this has been a beautiful conversation. Yeah, thank you so much. I feel like we've traversed, traversed some lands. It's been quite a journey. And I'd like to invite you to share anything else before we close. And I would also just like to invite the listeners, you know, wherever you're listening to this, people listen to podcasts in a lot of different places. This has been, I would say, a pretty deep dive. And it can be challenging to come back into regular life after going into these areas. And they say with storytelling, if a story brings people deep, then there's a responsibility of the teller to close it. Mm. Because go out into the streets in that very open state, mm. not necessarily good. So I just invite the listeners, for those of you who are in a peaceful place, and then great, you know, you might want to remain open for a while and consider these things. And if you're on to doing something else or dealing with some practical thing or this and that, I invite you after we're done the conversation to just take whatever time you have and do a good transition where you 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 close the the part of yourself with the the sacred, not wall it off, but just protect it within yourself so that when you go out, if you're speaking with people who didn't just go to these places. It won't be painful to you. So I invite you to 
have some practice for for closing that whatever works for you a sense of putting your putting your boundaries on can be very helpful after getting into the deep stuff but first Laura I just want to invite you to is there anything else you wanted to share before before we do close just that I really appreciate you inviting that and yeah maybe I can just track back as my own kind of closing briefly sharing in this moment what my glimmering residues are of the that we just took Hmm. which happened somehow in relation to the pacific ocean knowing that you are yeah maybe i'd tell it like this that there's these two who met for this walk and this talk Hmm. today and they met somehow across land one one in a snowy deep snow time place yeah and one still close to that same ocean, but a little bit further south in the land of, yeah, more green rolling hills and bright sun. And yeah, they walked somehow through these deep images embedded in the land almost like hibernating beings waiting to be listened to and ushered in. And there was this one sharing her story of the river. And there was this one sharing his life in different places. And he's also near a river here. There's a stream just near here that, that he often goes down to and listens to the sound and lets the flow of that stream move through him and mm-hmm. in connecting with that stream he has a sense of that stream across the ocean and in a northern island mm-hmm. and that this same water is flowing throughout the world in the oceans and the creeks and the streams and the rivers and the clouds and in the trees and in, in us in all the, mm-hmm. all the people And so they walked by a stream, by a river, and this river was many rivers. And they spoke of the layers of of story from the surface of daily conversation down to deep history and then beneath time, supporting time perhaps could say Mm. Mm. and there were questions opening these little portals in the land that they were walking that brought them to memories to rememberings of different times and different places and brought this river listening to think of grief and joy and the different movements that they make in the bodies in the bodies of us and the bodies of the land 
and the different way those movements come to shape, pop up and glimmer in our everyday lives or don't and need some need some ushering in, some encouragement. Mm. They spoke of ways that these surfacings might be encouraged, never dictated, but encouraged ways that these might bubble up on the surface in such a way as to connect the surface to these deeper layers. And all the while they spoke and the sun went down in both places from daylight to dark night. Yeah. The sunset. And they spoke for some time after sunset. And then gradually their conversation ended. And so we come to a close. If you'd like to learn more about Laura's thoughts and artwork and workshop offerings, you can visit her website. And I'll give you a link to that. I'd also recommend that you listen to her interview on the In the Borderlands podcast. If you'd like to hear more of this episode's music, that is available for premium subscribers of the Story Paths Substack. And if you would like to spend some time with a river, I would suggest you drop whatever it is you're doing and seek one out.